Welcome to the New Life Podcast. Here we want you to experience the grace of God. So through this sermon, we hope to come alongside you as you grow in your relationship with Jesus. To learn more about New Life, please visit our website at newlifeonline.org. Here's today's message. I want you to imagine a hypothetical conversation with me. Imagine you're sitting at Eli's coffee shop and, and your friend David has said, hey, let's get together. And, and he's, he's sharing with you just how life has been going. And and normally, you know, things are, are all good and, you know, hey, everything's great. And you kind of put on that, that, that veneer. And, but this time, it's a little bit different. David is sharing how life has been challenging for him. He's sharing that his kids are in a variety of activities. He's got three kids at varying ages. And they're in soccer and baseball. And they're, they're a part of the band. And, and so it's just like, man, there's a lot going on. And we feel like we're pulled in a, a bunch of different directions. You know, the kids are smart, but they're struggling in school a little bit. We've got to help them with their homework, and I just don't feel like I've got time to do all the things that I need to do. But that's not even really it. David and his wife, Emma, they're great people, and, and they love each other, but man, things are just not going well. They seem to be getting at, at each other all the time, the nitpicky things that come up in life, and, and they seem to be arguing more and more, and, and they can't quite find common ground. And this has been happening for months and months. And now David is feeling like, man, there's just not a way forward in this. And it kind of feels like divorce might be inevitable. But on top of that, he goes to work every day and he just feels like there's nothing happening there. He's been passed over promotion after promotion. And the the job that he does doesn't seem to feel valued. And he just hears in the back of his mind his own father who said, like, you should follow in my footsteps because you probably can't do much else. But he didn't want to do that. And now he's feeling the tension. Maybe I'm not good enough. This dead-end job is just not doing it for me. And now I'm just feeling like there's no way forward. And in a rare moment of vulnerability, he's sharing this with you in a coffee shop on a Thursday afternoon. And you're kind of surprised, like, I didn't realize this was going on. Because everybody puts on the mask around here, right? We make it look like everything's going well, but when things really aren't. And you're sitting in that coffee shop and you hear David sharing all of these things. And he's looking to you and you just, you feel like, man, he's just looking for hope, looking for a way forward, looking for peace. And he's not finding it. But in a moment, he's sharing all this with you. And, and why is it that David feels like he can do that with you? Because he sees something about you. There's something different about you that he just, he feels like he can open up in a random moment. What is it that you say to David? What is it that you have to offer to David in this moment? What can you bring to the table at Eli's coffee shop? Church family, we have a new vision statement that we want to share with you. And this vision statement gets after this very reality. What do we do in a moment like this with someone like David? What is it about us that makes David want to come talk to us? And what is it that we have to offer in that moment? I'm going to share with you our new vision statement. But before I do that, I want to remind you of the QR code. You see it on the bottom screen, but I'm going to have Andy switch over to a bigger version. If you want to follow along in this message to take notes, because we want to equip you with a moment like this. What do we do 
in these kinds of situations. So you can grab this QR code and pull up the sermon notes and follow along if you want to. But what we want to do is we want to share with you a new vision statement. Now, the vision that we all want to offer you helps us all kind of, kind of coalesce together around the same kind of thing. It's like, what is it that God is asking of us as a church in this next season? Where is he taking us? What is he wanting us to do? Our mission is always the same, to make disciples. That's true of every church, however we might articulate it. But every so often, we need a renewed vision, something for this season, at this point in time, that helps us move forward together. And so what I want to do is I want to share with you this new vision statement that our elders have been working on. And so here it is. Equipping you to pursue and proclaim Jesus in grace and truth. We want to equip you to pursue and proclaim Jesus in grace and truth. Our elder team has been praying and discerning, Lord, what is it you're asking us to do? And we've had conversation with leaders and, and different groups to arrive at, this is what we feel like God is asking us to commit to in this next season. And so what we want to do is we want to teach into this. We're going to take four weeks, and we're going to look at the different parts of this statement. We're going to expand on it to describe the biblical foundation of where we, we come from and what does this actually look like? And so we're going to take several weeks. We're going to explore in depth the meaning of this statement. You might look at it. It's like, okay, yeah, yeah. I can get that. I understand. But I hope that as we go through this series, you're going to see the depth to which God wants to take us as a church through this statement and how we can commit to him and see the work that he wants to do for the kingdom. So today, what I want us to focus on is the, the first thing that we want to start with is this, pursue Jesus. Our whole statement, equipping you to pursue and proclaim Jesus in grace and truth, we want to focus on today the pursuing Jesus part. And so that's what we're going to talk about. And so what, what I'd like you to do is turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Mark chapter 1. We're going to look and see what is this pursuing thing all about. And so this, this sermon, we're going, to, we're going to take it in four parts. We're going to get the what. What does this pursuit look like? Why? Why should we pursue? How? How do we actually do it? And then finally, what's the result? Those are the four parts that we're going to take. This first part will be the biggest chunk of time, so just, just know that. So Mark chapter 1, we're going to be looking at verses 14 through 20. Mark chapter 1, verses 14 through 20. Actually, I'm going to, I'm going to stop at verse 18. So uh, Mark chapter 1, beginning at verse 14. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Verse 16, as Jesus was walking along beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Verse 17, come Follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. I want to camp on this idea of follow. We've talked about this before in, in church here. And, and, and this is, this is a, a call that Jesus is putting before Simon and Andrew and later James, John, and the other disciples. And you might think like, okay, follow. Yeah, like start walking. I'm going this way. Would you come with me? Yes, it means that, but there's so much more to it. 
So this call to follow me is an invitation, say formal invite to say, I want you to come follow me. See, what would happen at this time is that there would, the, the, the children of the day would go to school, they'd learn, and they'd go to synagogue primarily to do that. And once they kind of completed their schooling, then they'd go either take up a trade or, or learn some kind of skill, or they would go learn under a rabbi. They would commit themselves deeper into synagogue life and, and, and religious practice, and so they would go learn under a teacher. And they would become a learner. Now, oftentimes, they would go and, and, and I'd like to learn under you. Would you receive me? And say, yes, I, I will. Or, or they'd be declined. But the rabbi would decide, like, yes, you can come follow me. But notice what Jesus is doing. He's not waiting for people to come to him. He's walking out there beside a lake. And he grabs some guys who aren't committing to synagogue life. They're just ordinary fishermen. And he says, hey, you, come follow me. Let me be your rabbi. Learn from me as one of my disciples. And so this invitation to follow is one to come learn. And so what they would do is they would be with their rabbi they would walk along the path. They'd, they'd share all of life. They wouldn't just be like, let's go to school for a few hours and okay, I'll see you tomorrow. Like, no, no, no. They're spending so much of their time together in everyday life. So much so that there's a phrase that, that came out of this experience. To be covered in the dust of your rabbi. I mean, they'd be walking so closely on these dusty roads that the, the, the rabbi would be kicking up dirt and everything and they'd be covered in it. And this, this was the mark of a good disciple following your rabbi so closely, you're covered in his dust. What Jesus is calling the disciples, what he's calling us to do, is to follow him, to go after him. For what purpose? To become like him. That's what they do. They'd learn to be like the rabbi. They'd do the things that he would do. They'd learn the things he would know, and they would be like him. So the call that I believe God is placing on us as a church is to pursue him, to follow him. That, that definition of pursue, you know, there's probably a few different ways we could capture it, but it's chasing after, seeking to attain. I mean, you can, if you imagine a game of chase, like you're chasing after someone, it's like, oh, I'm trying to get to you. That's what Jesus is calling us to do, chase after me, to become like me. And that's what I want you to see. When we say we want to pursue Jesus, we want to pursue him to become like him. That, that is the call before us. When we hear the call to follow me, it's to be like him. We want to do that with him. Paul, the, the Apostle Paul, he wrote uh, so many of the letters in the, the New Testament, particularly he wrote Romans, uh, this dense, rich theological book, and he packs so much in there. But in chapter 8, verse 29, he captures this idea. It's like, we're to pursue Jesus to become like him. So here are the, these words that you see in, in Romans chapter 8, verse 29. For, God, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. What is the goal here? What is it God is doing? He wants us to be conformed to the image of the Son. We're to be like Jesus. We're to look like him. 
When people see us, they're to see someone who's like Christ. This is what the goal is. He's shaping us and forming us to be like him. This, this is what we're to be going after. We follow Christ. We follow him as a rabbi, as a teacher, to be like him. That's what we're to do. We're to pursue him to become like him. Now, I want to show you one other text real quick here of a story of someone who I think uh, models this or, or exemplifies this. So if you would turn one book to the right, um, to the book of Luke, chapter 19. This might be a familiar story to you. We're going to be looking at the story of Zacchaeus. So I want to read through this story, and I'm going to make some comments along the way. But what we're going to see is a picture of this pursuit. So Luke 19, verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. Now, pause here a second. If you know your Bible, and you probably kind of know, okay, this is what this is about, but the tax collectors, they were hated. See, these tax collectors were people who belonged to Israel. They were Israelites, but they betrayed their people by aligning with Rome. And they would serve as tax collectors. They would take money from their fellow countrymen and give it to Rome. And oftentimes, they'd have a baseline, like, here's how much you need to collect. But then anything else you collect, you get to keep. And so that got to the point where there was a lot of exploitation happening here. And the people were oppressed by these taxes, and these tax collectors were part of that. They were hated. But notice something about Zacchaeus. He is a chief tax collector. Not as he just like a regular tax collector, but like he's a chief tax collector. So in this category of people, like you've got sinners and tax collectors, like all the people who sin, and then tax collectors, he is the chief among them. And so you get that statement in Luke, he was wealthy, yeah, off the backs of the Israelites. So the introduction of this character in this story, the original readers would have been like, they would not be all that disposed to like this character. Like, no way, Zacchaeus, uh uh-uh. So read on what happens next. Verse 3. He wanted to see who Jesus was. Now, it wasn't that he wanted to see Jesus. Notice what Luke says here. He wanted to see who Jesus was. There's something about Zacchaeus here that we need to pick up on. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead And climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming this way. So there he is. He's climbing a tree. He's trying to get a look at Jesus and who he is. So verse 5. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. Now, notice what's happening here. Jesus walking along. He pauses at the tree and he looks up and says, hey, Zacchaeus. I know who you are. I'm inviting myself over to your house today. You're going to receive me. Come on, let's go have lunch. Like, here, Jesus being kind of rude, right? Well, remember, he's a tax collector. Nobody wanted anything to do with him. When's the last time he probably had somebody come to his house for lunch? But here's Jesus. I'm coming to eat with you. 
And it tells Zacchaeus came down and welcomed him gladly. So they had lunch. And, and then what you can imagine, maybe here's what happens next. Verse 7. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. No, we don't eat with him. This is not somebody who belongs here or deserves your attention. Like, no, 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 we, we don't do that with this guy. But then notice what happens in contrast to the people. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. This person who is a tax collector, a chief tax collector, who is outside and, and ostracized, nobody wants anything to do with him, he is the one who knows something about Jesus. He wants to know more. And so what does he do? He goes and pursues him. He climbs a tree just so he can get a glimpse of him. And then after having a meal with him, encountering Jesus, this, this is the result. A tax collector who's been stealing money from people, what does he do? He's like, I'm going to give away half of what I own. And anybody that I've wronged, I'm going to pay back four times. I'm going to make things right. I'm going to offer restitution. I'm going to put things back the way they're supposed to be. This tax collector, nobody wants anything to do with, he now is embodying the kind of heart that Jesus wants us to have. Because notice, what does Jesus say? Verse 9, today salvation has come to this house. Because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. Salvation has come. He belongs. He is a son of Abraham, just like you. I don't know how well you know the, the gospel of Mark, but in chapter 18, before this story, we have another rich guy who shows up. You remember who this is? The rich young ruler. In chapter 18, another rich guy is like, hey, Jesus, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? How do I be saved? Well, keep all the commandments, but here's something that you need to know. Sell all your possessions. Come follow me. That guy walks away sad. But here's a rich guy, the one you didn't expect, giving away his money. Because he encountered Jesus truly, he was pursuing him. His heart was opened. This is the picture. We're to pursue Jesus to become like him. Here, Zacchaeus is becoming like Jesus. Now, this is the what. We're to pursue Jesus. We're to go after him. We're to, to follow him closely to become like him. Well, why? Why are we to pursue him? I want you to look at verse 10 in chapter 19. See, Jesus goes on and he adds this one last little phrase. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. He came to seek and save the lost. Jesus is already pursuing. He's already going after people. He is coming to save people. 
See, the, the, the gospel writer John also wrote some letters, and he wrote in 1 John about this dynamic. And so I want to throw to you uh, verses 19 and 10 in chapter 4. So verse 19, it reads this. We love because he first loved us. It's not that we love God and therefore he returns that love. Like, no, no, no. He first loved us. And we love in response to that. He is the one who's pursuing us first. He already loves us. And what does this love do? Verse 10. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. And he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. This, this is why Jesus came, because we, we are wayward. We're lost. And we're lost in our rejection of him, and we we don't know which way to turn, and, and he comes seeking us, because we can't seek him. We're incapable. We're trapped in our sin, and he comes to rescue us. And he dies for us. When I was younger, uh, probably like five or something, I don't remember exactly how old I was, I was with my mom and we were in the toy store. And, and I love Legos, I still do, and I love Legos. And man, anytime we were in Toys R Us or something, I was like, I want to go look at the Legos. And so we're kind of walking along, and I don't remember even why we were there, but I decided like, yep, I'm going to go look at the Legos now. And so I kind of turn a corner and I go look at the Legos, and I'm looking around and, and trying to find the next cool Lego or whatever, and suddenly I realize like, wait a minute, my mom's not here. Have you been in that place before? Or you or that little kid got lost in the grocery store, or maybe you know someone or that happened to you and your kid. Like, you know, we, we have those moments, right, where a little kid is just going to wander off. That was a moment for me. I was looking at Legos, and suddenly I realized, like, oh, my mom's not here. We were like me. We're lost. We suddenly find ourselves like we don't know where we are, and we're not with our father. But not, you know, it probably felt like to five-year-old me like an hour and maybe it was only like 30 seconds. But then I look up and I see my mom coming down the aisle towards me. And I'm quite sure she realized that I was missing before I did. And she had already been looking for me. And here she comes down the aisle like coming towards me and all that stuff. And I had that moment of, of panic and I'm sure she did too, but she had pursued me. I was lost. I didn't even know it, but she did. This is what the Lord does. The Father comes pursuing us first. We don't realize we're lost. We don't realize that we don't know which way to go. And he's looking for us first. See, we don't seek him. That's not in our nature. We're we're in rebellion. We're, We're lost. And so he seeks us first. And so why should we be pursuing him It's because he pursues us first to save us. This is what he comes to do, and this is why he is present with us now. He is continually seeking the lost. The Holy Spirit is moving in our world to bring those who are lost towards him. And he's already pursuing us. We're to pursue him as a response He's already looking for us. We're to come looking for him. So, we're to pursue Jesus. We're to be like him. And why? It's because he's already pursuing us and he wants to save us. So how do we actually do it? 
How do we actually pursue Christ in real kind of tangible ways? Well, I want to do it in in two parts here. We pursue Jesus by being with him and learning from him. We pursue Jesus by being with him and learning from him. So that first part, being with him. John chapter 15, Jesus is with his disciples before he's about to go to the cross. And you pay attention. When when someone's kind of like, I need to tell you the kind of last things, you kind of perk up. And in chapter 15, it's this beautiful picture of our relationship with Christ. But in verse 4, he says this kind of these words in an image. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. What Jesus is talking about there is, is dwelling, it's living, it's resting in him. The word remain also means dwell. We're to be with him. We're to share life with him. We are to spend time with him. We're to dwell with him because there we'll be connected. And that is how we bear fruit. We don't bear it on our own. We don't try to manufacture it. But rather it is connected to the vine, connected to him, that we become like him. So in our pursuing of Jesus, we spend time with him. Well, how do we do that? It's in these practices. We commit to prayer. We commit to scripture reading. We commit to worship. That's it. It might surprise you. It's like, well, yeah, I already know that. Like, exactly. There's nothing magical or new about this. We simply spend time with Jesus in these ways. These practices help us connect with him relationally. To dwell with him. To remain in him. So... We want to commit to them as well. So as we roll out this vision, we want to be committing to these kinds of practices. We want to build them into our regular patterns, both when we gather corporately and individually in our lives. So we want to be doing this together. So we commit to praying. We commit to reading the scriptures. We commit to worship, both individually on our own and corporately when we gather like this. These three practices are going to be essential for us as we move forward. And so what we're going to do is we're going to continue to teach into them. We're going to teach on Sunday mornings on these kinds of things. And we're going to create environments for you to learn and to practice. How do I get better at prayer? Whether it's in the form of a a small group or a class, like we're going to offer you opportunities to get better at these practices. Because this, this is where you spend time with Jesus. And this is not exhaustive. There are other practices that we'll put in place too, but these three primary ones are going to help us get down the field. Now, we spend time with Jesus. We're being with him, but we also learn from him. We want to learn from him. These practices are not ends in and of themselves. We don't read the Bible and it's like, okay, I'm reading the Bible. I'm doing the right thing. They are a means to an ends. We read the Bible to meet with Christ and to allow him to teach us and to shape us. When we're reading the scriptures, when we're praying, when we're worshiping, we're encountering him just like Zacchaeus did. And he is changing us and forming us. We are now different because of it. These practices are a means to an end. 
It's looking different. We're learning from Jesus how to be like him. And so when we commit to that, we're being changed by him. That's the work of the Holy Spirit in us. And so we grow in the fruit of the Spirit. We bear fruit like John 15 talks about. We look more and more like him. And that's the measure that we're going after. Sure, it's great if we're like, okay, I've got my Bible plan. I'm checking through it. That's awesome. Am I seeing fruit? Do I look different because of it? That's what we want to go after. We want to go after the fruit. We want to look different because of it. So practicing these things is not quite enough. We want to put one more key one in place as we move forward. And this is life groups. See, we can do all these things in isolation and not actually grow. But if we're doing it with other people, they're going to spur us on in deeper and deeper ways. And so we don't want you to be practicing your faith as an individual, but rather we want you to do it as a community. And so we are going to really push our life groups in this next season. As we roll out this vision, we're going to have several pieces and elements and stages that's going to come. But here is the first and primary way we want you to practice the vision. Get into a life group. Get into a life group. Have a group of people that you are sharing life with who are spurring you on in the faith. So at my last church, uh, I was uh, one of the pastors there, and, and I led a few different kinds of groups. And there was one group in particular that uh, my wife and I led together. And uh, we did some teaching in this and some training and all that kind of stuff. But inevitably, when you join a life group and go any length of time, there's going to be something that happens in life, right? What happened to us? Like we had just kind of a hard stretch. There was a moment where, where things were just really difficult for us. And so we had this group of people come around us. They were just there and present with us. They encouraged us. They met us where we were and, and just they were in the situation with us. But that's not all they did. They challenged us. They asked us questions like, what is it that God's trying to teach you right now? What is it that you think he's trying to show you in this time? How, how can you be different moving forward? Like this is the kind of thing that a life group is meant to do. We might join a group to find friends, to build community and relationships, and this is extremely valuable. But that's not the purpose. That's a byproduct. The true purpose of a life group is a group of people who can spur you on to growing deeper in Christ. That's what we want our groups to be about. So, in this series, we're going to come back to this over and over again. But even today, the door is now open. We have worked hard to begin raising up new life groups for anybody who wants to join a group. They'll have that opportunity. So even starting today, if you're like, yes, I want to join a life group, you can do that. If you go back to that QR code, and actually, Andy, would you be willing to throw the QR code back up? If you click on that QR code, it, go to our main webpage, you'll see on the homepage a button for life groups. You can say, hey, I'm interested in joining a group. And so over the next four weeks, we're going to be asking and inviting people to sign up for a group. And we're going to help you find a group. And, that's, and all these groups are going to start in January. So if you don't hear from anybody too quickly, don't worry. We're, we're working towards January. But you can today say, hey, I'm interested in joining a life group. And we encourage everyone to be a part of some kind of community. And we want to help you do that. So if you're not already part of a life group, 
please go here or stop by the connections desk after service. And we'd love to help explore some different options for you for where you might be able to connect. But we're going to say this over and over again over the next several weeks. So if you're not sure what you think about it, it's okay. We're going to keep talking about it. But we'll really bring this home on the final week of the series. But we want everybody to be a part of a life group. This practice is one of the most essential things that we can do in joining the work that God is doing in our church. So be a part of a life group. The final thing that I want to highlight to you is like, okay, that's how you do it. You, you commit to these practices, prayer, Bible reading, worship. We join groups and, and you know, work through life together. What happens when we commit to that? What happens when we commit to this, this vision that God is giving our church? What's the kind of thing that's going to take place? In the book of Acts, we see after Jesus has departed, his disciples, they go out spreading the message, they're healing people. And then in chapter four, the religious leaders take note. And they're not all that excited. But there's a fascinating little moment that happens when Peter and John face the Sanhedrin. And here, here's the commentary that, that we get in verse 13. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they didn't go through synagogue training. They're unschooled, they're ordinary, they're fishermen. They were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. They saw Jesus on Peter and John. When we spend time with him, when we really let him do his work in us, people are going to notice. We're going to look different. Church family, I want this to be our commitment. Let's look like this. Let's be people marked by Jesus. When people look at us, they're going to see Christ in us. They're going to hear Christ's words in us. They're going to smell him. They're going to taste him. They're going to sense him through us. Can we be people that are marked by Christ? Church family, will we commit to that? If we commit to that, let's come back to David. We have a conversation with someone in a coffee shop. What is it that we have to offer? We have experienced the hope and the healing of the gospel. We have lived the work that Christ, the Holy Spirit, wants to do in and through us. And we can share that with somebody else. We can tell David there is a way forward. There is hope. There is peace. And it's going to be hard, but it's going to be good. The life that you're looking for, that you thought was coming and pleasing your parents or, or finding the right kind of family life and, and, and those kinds of like, it's all going to fall short. But the life that you're truly looking for is found in Christ. Let me share with you what he's done in my life. Let me show you what he can do in yours. That's the kind of conversation that we can have. Church family, that's the kind of conversation I want us to have. Will we be these kinds of people? So, let's be marked by Jesus. Here's the vision statement one more time. You ready? We want to equip you to pursue and proclaim Jesus in grace and truth. We're going to take the rest of this month into, into December and explore what does the rest of this statement look like. But for today, the pursue part. We pursue Jesus by being with him and learning from him. 
And we want to help equip you in that. So as we move forward into this vision, the church is going to work at building this up. We're going to equip you. We're going to help you. And we're going to walk this out together. So let's pursue Jesus by being with him and learning from him.